Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. It's the week before Halloween and Char's mother, Angela, has inexplicably disappeared. All that remains is her abandoned car. When she returns home without explanation the following evening, it becomes clear that Char and her grandmother, Rita, that something is amiss. She might look and sound the same as Angela's, but Angela's behavior has become increasingly frightening, as if she'd been replaced by something malevolent and evil. The film is called You Are Not My Mother, and we're joined today by the director as well as the writer of the film, and that would be Kate Dolan. Kate, welcome to Film School Radio. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm so happy to be here, talk to you about the film. Yeah, and I am thrilled to have you. Uh, I want to first mention that the film is coming out this week. Uh, It's a magnet film release, which which is a subsidiary of Magnolia Pictures, you can watch it online, I believe, on uh, video on demand, as well as theatrically. We'll get mm-hmm. into all of that. The film is based on a folklore of sorts. Uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about the origin story and, and what your inspiration was to do the film. Yeah, so, you know, in Ireland, we're very much um, immersed in our folklore as kids and kind of told all the stories. Um, and you learn even some of the myth and legend at school when you're um, a kid as well. So, you know, it was always something that really fascinated me and I've always been really intrigued by the stories of our folklore that we have in Ireland. And I think I always wanted to make a film which, you know, depicted that in a way that I hadn't really seen before. Because I think sometimes Irish folklore is used in films, but not in the way that I felt like it was dark enough, maybe. I feel like our folklore stories are really dark and quite sinister. And then I had looked into kind of the impact of folklore in Ireland because like basically these stories people really believe them to be true in Ireland like in the you know 1700s 1800s and so on like there was a story of a woman called Bridget Cleary for example in 1895 and her husband thought she was a changeling and had been swapped by the fairies for you know um something else and he he murdered her and I just you know stories like that I, I kept reading kind of stories like that and just it really fascinated me kind of how you could really do something like that to somebody you love because you really believe that it's not them or like what is going on there do they really not believe or like what's happening and then just kind of exploring that mystery so that was really the jumping off point I suppose. We in America really don't have folklore in the same way that it appears to be in Ireland and England and Scotland and Wales and I'm wondering I mean we have the indigenous folklore of the Native Americans but we don't really have whatever we we have seems to be brought over to our country from from other countries, including Ireland, as far as folk, folk tales are concerned. What, let's dive a little bit more into the changeling idea. Is that that seems to be something that is universal? The idea of sort of the the inhabiting of somebody by an, by by a spirit. Yeah, I think like it in obviously it's a, as a changeling in Ireland, but in Scandinavia they have a change changelings as well. But in Scandinavia, their kind of malevolent creatures are trolls. I think usually rather than fairies in Ireland, it's fairies. Um, but you know, it's kind of in the same vein, very much that they have an idea that the troll, like a tro- a baby, can be swapped out for a troll baby. 
and in Ireland it would be normally a baby that's been swapped for something else but in Ireland it was kind of adult humans could also be kind of swapped or be led astray and led kind of into the other world but I think you know it's um yeah when I was researching it, I find it really interesting about folklore because like when you research it there's kind of as you say stories that link up even in you know in Asian folklore there's stories which feel very similar but they're obviously so far away and so far removed and it's interesting like how that can happen in a time before we were so you know globalized and connected that we had you know innate fears that we all had in our different cultures and then we gave different names to but that it's kind of unifies us all it's like I really love that I think it's really um interesting that we kind of at, at a base level we all kind of have the same fears that you know somebody we know is not who they are anymore and um, which is really interesting yeah and I find it and we'll just put this out there if you want to comment on it and that is I think these go back to these ancient cultures and in, in the British Isles you I mean I'm the Wiggins um go back sort of the idea the explaining the unexplainable I think this is an impulse we have as human beings, we want to try and explain things that we don't understand. And I think that's the basis of religion and so much other in the world that and this is feels like changeling, it feels like some variation of a religious text, a religious sort of explanation. And it also ties into mental illness. I think before we had an understanding of the human condition, the human behavior, we had to explain things that were seemingly irrational and unexplainable and mental illness, certainly going back to ancient times would have seemed to be unexplainable and on many levels. I, again, I may be way off the mark here, but to no, me, no. that's what it, it gives human beings some comfort to be able to explain the unexplainable. Definitely. Yeah. You know, that I think that's something that I, I love about folklore as well. Like the kind of, yeah, the idea that so much was unknown. And I think like now, we know so much, we almost know too much. And I think we kind of almost feel nostalgic or feel like we want to hark back to a time when like things weren't all knowable, like we didn't know everything. And I think that's kind of where horror movies and stuff like that come in because you can kind of create these scenarios or kind of stories where things aren't 100% known or explained. And that's, people kind of want that, I think, because we just, we almost are bombarded with information about how everything works and, and what is happening all the time. It's almost, you know, it takes a bit of the mystery out of life, I think. Yeah, but I would I would put out that mental illness, while we're certainly have a greater understanding, it's still an unknown for, for, for many people dealing with all kinds of variations of mental illness. It still seems to be something that that we're afraid of that we fear because we don't under, quite understand it. And in every person, it may be a little different in the manifestation of it. So, and that's why it's in the film. You, you bring us into this idea of the changeling through the idea that your mother is mentally ill, that mental illness is part of the part of this explanation. Mm -hmm. So I, again, I, I just wanted to, because I really find it fascinating. And I find that when we can't explain something, we almost always ascribe it to something that's even more mysterious <laughs> yeah I think you know for us the film is very much um what it's really about is being a young person coming of age and seeing your parent for the first time kind of in a way that you've never seen them before in a way that you know they're kind of frightening to you I suppose that they're not kind of in control of themselves and they're not 
they're not behaving in the way that you are used to seeing them as a kid when you're a young person coming of age that is completely like you don't know what to do and you don't know how to help them and you have very little kind of resources to pull from to kind of try and confront what's happening to you and what's happening to them so I think yeah that, that the folklore felt like a great way to tell that story because it is kind of you're in the unknown you're in a gray area that you've never been in before as a young person and you kind of have to navigate how to get out of that and how to help them and and um, it's a very frightening thing it can be very isolating and frightening absolutely well the film is called you are not my mother and the heart and soul of the film are the performances that we get we see in the film mm-hmm. and um just beautifully done beautiful characters are really well done in terms of our their dynamic within the family is predominantly a, a female production on both sides of the camera it feels like but the, these performances by these three women in the film are just are really wonderful Char is played by Hazel Dupe, who is just, um, again, she carries the film. It's critically important. Uh, our empathy for the, her character and for her situation and the way that she handles it. And one of the beautiful things about her performance, and love to hear what you have to say, is how little dialogue you use in, in conveying so much about what's going on in the story, but in, as well as in her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, um, the lack of dialogue was interesting because you know the whole film I think it's also about like kind of if you don't communicate and if you don't speak to each other about what's going on things only get worse and so the like lack of kind of communication between the family members is very intentional and then for Shar, I feel like she has no voice she has no kind of way to uh, articulate how she feels about what's going on so we did need somebody who like Hazel who can convey so much without dialogue without kind of having kind of a way to express herself so she you know Hazel's amazing I think she just like delivers a performance which is so internal but she kind of externalizes it and it's uh we were really kind of blessed to have her um join the film and you know be a part of it because I think she's a really talented young actress and she's only only going amazing places I think from here yeah, I I agree. I thought it's just a great performance. Uh, but her mom, Angela, is played by Carolyn um, Bracken, and she plays essentially two characters in the film. Yes, yeah. So, so we have that, and I thought she was terrific. Everybody, uh, Ingrid, Craigie, they're, all three of these women are terrific, but uh, Carolyn Bracken, there's a couple of scenes, especially the one where she's dancing in the in the living room. Mm-hmm. was just powerful as all get out yeah she's um I, carolyn's a really kind of as a director she's a great actor to work with because she's so unafraid she's like she kind of is happy to let her kind of primal primal scream out um which you see in the movie quite a lot like she's not self-conscious about that at all she's willing to kind of really go there um so that for me was a real gift as a director that you know I, I didn't have to kind of push her to do that she really just brought that herself and just went for it and she really didn't hold back so you know and she and it was great because she could deliver that kind of performance but then do something that was very soft and gentle and affectionate as well and mm-hmm. um, so she's yeah she's really amazing she just did a great job and such a lovely person to work with as well just never takes herself too seriously as well which is always great <laughs> well and she's she's not afraid to sort of uh you know be messy and yeah all the things that you that character this character is 
demands really out of the performance yeah. is do all of these different things and uh, do them well as well. But uh, and Ingrid Craigie is also wonderful in terms of the the kind of the the matriarch of the family and how she's wise, but she can't she really can't say as much as she wants to. And yeah, I, yeah. She's an interesting character, definitely. I think, you know, she's of the kind of old guard, I think, the idea. Because, you know, in Ireland, we have generations of people who would never speak about mental health problems. You know, things would always be kept secret. And, you know, I think she's definitely of that kind of older generation that it's like, we'll solve this in my way, where we do it on my terms and we don't talk about it. And I think that's kind of like, it was a real kind of hark back to that um that kind of generation in Ireland just wouldn't kind of confront things head on and speak about it openly. It was kind of all cloak and dagger and very secretive. Um, but yeah, Ingrid does an amazing job, I think, yeah, delivering that kind of that performance and somewhat sinister at times as well. <laughs> yes, it's sinister. It's 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 all the things uh, that you need in a good horror film. You you hit all the, the right marks in terms of uh, the, not only the story itself, <clears throat> but the level of tension continues to ratchet up as the film goes on. It has a beautiful look. I do want to mention the work of uh, Marianne Van Mael, and who does a wonderful job. And then the sound, you, have, you did a beautiful job with the sound in this. And it feels like this was a film with not a huge budget and you found a location and you found a way to shoot it in such a way. He really utilized all the kind of cinematic tools at your disposal to really give this a, a film that's punching above its weight class in terms of look and feel. Yeah, I think, you know, we were very lucky with the crew we got because I think because it was this real kind of like, you know, small film, it was low budget and a lot of the people working on it, it was their first features as well. You know, the HODs, the production designer and the makeup designer, that kind of stuff. So it was just like really nice to have a team like that because it meant everyone was really passionate and really excited because they had never really done this before and it was COVID as well. So nobody had been working in ages and everyone kind of was just so like passionate about making it, you know, we didn't have a lot, but trying to make it, um, you know, a real cinematic movie that felt like, as you say, like it was punching above its weight that we were delivering kind of a cinematic look and feel to it that on a low budget movie, it can be kind of hard to achieve. But I think it was just the team, like everyone just put their all into it and like really didn't let the kind of uh, restrictions of, you know, budget or COVID or anything like that kind of pull them back from their ambitions of what they wanted to do. So that it was really, it was a great experience. Yeah. Well, I think that's in some way a testament to the story, to you as a director. It feels like this is a story that needs a lot of care and love to make it work, to, to give it all of the things that it needed. Uh, it just feels like, yeah, everybody really did, did a great job. Just, just yeah. a, you know, the film has been has received a lot of acclaim and uh, here it is opening through Magnolia or Magnet releasing uh, here this Friday. And, uh, you know, I believe it did it premiere at uh, at Toronto or did it? Is that where we? we yeah, it was at Toronto Film Festival in the Midnight Madness section, um, which was, you know, that was just a great start for us. That was our premiere, our world premiere. And Peter Kaplowski, who programs the Midnight Madness section, he was such a supporter of the film and that really kind of helped us so much to kind of um, just like get to the next stages of what we wanted to do. So yeah, it was brilliant. You've made a number of films prior to this. Um, 
and uh, have, have gotten a lot of acclaim for that work as well. But what does this mean for you as a filmmaker in terms of what you want to do? Do you want to continue to kind of mine this area of cinema? Do you, do you broadening your horizons to looking for other projects? Where do you want to go from here? Um, I think, you know, I have two feature film projects, which are horrors again. Um, I think the horror space is really fun for, you know, a filmmaker. I think you can be really creative and you can kind of do things that other genres don't let you do and, and have a lot of fun doing it as well. Um, and, I, you know, I love creating monsters and kind of worlds that feel ethereal. And uh, I think to the horror space is definitely going to keep me there for the time being I'm a big horror fan so I think you know it's it's something that I always feel very at home in but you know it's not to say I think in the future you know who knows what could happen so mm. I'm, I'm not going to pigeonhole myself today but uh, yeah well one one observation about horror films and the community fans of horror films are very loyal mm. very yeah. very um plugged in and, and when they find someone or a filmmaker that they they appreciate and and, uh, and like, they they tend to be very loyal. So I, I, this feels like a film that is going to engender an awful lot of, of buzz if it hasn't already within, oh, within thank you. the community. And uh, my congratulations to you, truly uh, wonderful work here. Uh, the film, again, is called You Are Not My Mother. And we've been joined today by the director, writer, as well as the pharmacist. Yes. <laughs> in the film. And uh, so congratulations to you, Kate Dolan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you today. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.